open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And some of you may pronounce that book Habakkuk. However you pronounce it, uh, find it and open up to it. And uh, we are so excited to be in week four, uh, week four of our four-week series, I Want to Believe, But. I Want to Believe, But. And we have covered so much ground over the last three weeks. And uh, I just want to let you know that if you've missed any of our series up to this point, if you've wanted to maybe catch up on week two, week three, uh, maybe uh, you want to share this with someone. Maybe there's someone in your area of influence that is struggling in one of these things and you think it'd be a great blessing to maybe encourage them to listen to one of the messages and maybe as they've listened to it, now you can dialogue with them about it and, and even have an opportunity to maybe either disciple them or even see them come to know Christ. You can get access to all of our sermons uh, on our website, northgoodland.org. You can get them on our app. We have a church app app that you can go to your app store and download it right from either Google or Apple. Uh, It is North Goodland, B.C., North Goodland, B.C. Download that app. All the messages are on there as well. And uh, just we want to make it as available as possible to you. If you would rather not have it through those means, but you'd rather have a CD, if you want the whole series on CD, you can do that. You can sign up at the Welcome Center. There's some little pink envelopes you can sign up there for the whole series. Uh, there is a cost to that, and the people at the Welcome Center can explain all that to you. Uh, the cost for the CDs is literally just what it costs for the CDs. Uh, what it is to buy those CDs and get those, that's what you're paying for. And so we're not making any money on that, uh, but we want to encourage you to get the CDs or get it on the app or through the website, whatever way, so that you're able to be kind of catch up on these things that we've been talking about. So we've covered a lot of ground, as I've already said. We've, again, we've been three weeks of I want to believe, but, um, and just kind of give you an idea of where we've been and where we want to go. My prayer is that through this series, we've started to understand there there are those in our lives, those that we'll come in contact with, those we'll talk to that want to believe in God, but there's a hurdle, there's a ceiling, there's something keeping them from really believing, really trusting in God. Uh, Now, I'm not talking again about the hardcore uh, atheist in opposition to God, uh, I hate God, I want nothing to do with God. We're not talking about that individual. Uh, We're talking about the person that maybe has spent time in church, maybe has been around church, maybe has family in church. They, they kind of have a knowledge of what it is to believe, uh, but they didn't, they're not there themselves. They're kind of what I would say like on the fence. They, they want to believe, but there's just something keeping them from believing. I honestly believe that those individuals usually struggle with not believing in the real God of the Bible, the true God we see in Scripture. Usually we struggle with believing in a, a distorted view of God that has either been told to us that we've believed wrongly or we've created in our own mind. And so it's not that we're struggling to believe the God of the Bible. Some people are struggling to believe the God that they've created. And then they say, well, I can't believe in a God who's like this. But then they get into God's word and they find out he's really not like that. It's a distorted view of God. So what are some examples of this that we've covered? Well, we won't go into great detail, uh, but we've talked about on-demand God right? On-demand God, this idea that, that I, don't, I, don't, I can't believe in a God who's not always there and always does what I tell him to do, uh, that he's got to be on-demand. I always want him to do what I say when I say it. And we kind of tackled that the first week, that that on-demand God doesn't exist. There's no such thing as on-demand God. 
He will graciously and lovingly answer our prayer requests. If it's in Jesus' name and according to his will, he will answer our requests at times in this life. And we are, should be rather, ever so thankful for any time the God of all creation hears my prayers and then answers my prayers. We should be praising him for that. We should be thankful that he would even take time. I mean, have you ever stopped to realize, and this is a side thing, I want to, don't get on too far down, but, but have you ever stopped to realize that when you bow your head in prayer, when your eyes are wide open and you, and, and you go to him in prayer, when you, when you go to him as a follower of Christ, he hears you individually, singularly. He hears you and he hears your heart. And he even knows the things that you don't even know how to pray. And he hears you. And then graciously, and not because he has to, because he's chosen to, again, if it's according to his will, and if it's in Jesus' name, the Bible says that he will answer those requests. Like, how crazy is that? God of all creation, the God is sustaining all of creation, holding it all in balance. And by the way, that means he's holding you together as well. That same God is interested in you enough to listen to you. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. Because I know me. And I, I don't want to put up with me most days. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to give time to me some days. But God says, no, he's gracious and he hears our prayers. He is not an on-demand God, but do not misunderstand. He is a gracious God that wants to hear your prayers. But be careful that when he's not on-demand, that we keep him in the proper position as over us, not him under us. He's not on demand. Uh, The next God we talked about that people struggle to believe in or the the God that they've created is Goosebump God. Goosebump God. This is the God that I want to believe in God, but I don't feel anything. I just don't feel, I don't feel anything when I sing. I don't feel anything when I read the Bible. I don't feel anything. I see other people experiencing God in certain ways, and I just don't feel like that. And we kind of tackled that in the second week that, listen, God will move in ways that will leave us speechless. God will do things that will leave us just in awe of him and his greatness. And we will have moments of emotion and feeling with God in this walk with him as we're in his presence. But there are other times in this life where we will not have those emotions. And we cannot dictate to God who he is based on how I feel about the God that he is. And we tackled that the second week, that it's not about having a goosebump God. It's about realizing that my understanding of God and his presence comes from the word of God. And I want to hit this again. I know I hit this in that week, but, but man, we have to believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We have to believe that this book is actually sufficient enough as it is to stand alone to instruct me in the things of God. I don't need experiences to prove this book. Now, as we're submitting to the word of God, we're in relationship with Christ, we're in his presence, God will bring experiences into your life. He will create these moments and and circumstances and you're just like, God, you're so amazing. I referenced it even, I think it was last week when, when Gary got up and sang that song and I'm sitting there going, God, you're awesome because this is exactly where I was gonna go this morning. And we didn't talk and plan that out. Uh, some of you maybe saw on Facebook and this is just amazing how God is. I posted a verse that I was feeling encouraged by something that was on my heart for a little bit. I was like, man, God, thank you for your peace that you offer through the Holy Spirit that I don't need. It's great to have other people give you peace and bring peace into your life, but I don't need someone else to give me peace. And the Bible says in John 14, 27, he gives me peace through his Holy Spirit. 
And so I was just, I shared a quick little thought about that. And it was so cool. Someone posted right underneath it. I was literally just talking to so-and-so and shared this. And they, we were talking about this. And man, it's so cool that this popped up right there. That's cool. That's God working in these things. But listen, to believe God at his word, I don't need those things. When those things come, hey, praise God. That's awesome. But you know what, there's other times in this life where you'll be walking with God and, and thinking on him and your relationship is good and you're enjoying him and there won't be those kind of whoa moments. They won't be there. And in those times, we don't go, oh, God has forgotten me because I don't get the goosies like I used to get. I have to say that every time I say goosebump God, I got to throw goosies in there, okay? It's like a, I have a quota in my mind and I got to hit one a, one a sermon when I say the word goosies, okay? So... But when you think about that, man, it's so cool to know that we can rest and trust in the sufficiency of Scripture. I don't need my feelings to affirm anything. I have truth that affirms my salvation and my walk with Christ. And so, again, yes, he does move in ways. Yes, he does things that we can't explain. And praise God, he does because he is God and I am not. But we do not base our relationship on feelings. We base our relationship with Christ on the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we trust in the word. And then last week we talked about kill joy God. Kill joy God. The God that we have a hard time believing in is a God of rules just for rules sake. I can't believe in a God that always has to put rules on me and restrictions and trying to limit my fun and limit my joy. And, you know, I can't enjoy life because God doesn't want me to have fun. And so he puts all these rules on me. And we said it last week. And, again, I encourage you to listen to it. Anywhere God says thou shalt not, it's because if you do, it's bad for you. And it's going to bring destruction. People think all the time, well, yeah, but I want to have fun. I want to enjoy life. When we go outside the bounds of what God said is for us, we may have momentary pleasure, but I promise you again on the word of God that it will bring ultimate destruction, bondage, so many people give in to things that momentarily brings them joy and pleasure. And then in the long run, we realize, man, this isn't bringing me joy anymore. It's, it's consuming me. But when we walk in a relationship with Christ, we are able to enjoy all the fullness of Christ and enjoy all of the things in this world that we are meant to enjoy and truly have happiness in Christ and in these things. We can enjoy things differently. And again, it's not that we have to like limit ourselves from having joy. It's no, we take joy in the things that bring us joy. It's an amazing way that God works that out. Each week, the whole point of each week is I wanted us to gain an appropriate view of God from his word and see clearly who God really declares himself to be in his word. That's the idea. I want us to gain from the word of God an appropriate view of God. Sometimes we're right and we see him in the way scripture says. Sometimes we get off base. We need to change, not the word of God. And we change and submit to those things. This morning as we're finishing up the series, uh, the last God we're going to talk about that people have a hard time believing in is heartless God. Heartless God. Basically, this is the God that is unfair and unjust. He's mean and hurtful. He chooses to let others suffer when he could intervene and stop it. And honestly, in my experience and just talking to people, this is one of the biggest ones that people will say, I want to believe in God, but I have a hard time believing in God who allows such suffering in the world, who does these things, who, who doesn't stop people from hurting other people. I want to believe in God, but I can't believe in a God who would allow that. And so I wanted to go to a passage in Habakkuk uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. And what we're going to talk about this morning is something that Habakkuk struggled with constantly. 
His biggest battle was understanding why would God allow some of the things that he saw going on around him. So Habakkuk chapter 1 in verse 1 says here, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. This is what he's saying. This is his burden. This is his weight. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou will not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are, and they, and there are that rise up strife and contention. Verse 4, therefore the law is slacked, and judgment does never go forth. For the wicked does compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceeds. Man, what's Habakkuk's heart here? He's saying, Lord, I am struggling. Lord, I don't get it. Lord, I look around me, and I'm seeing some stuff that doesn't make sense. Lord, how long are you going to let this go on for? God, how long are you going to sit up there and do nothing is really what Habakkuk's saying. Now, we wouldn't say it that way. Maybe we would in our heads, but out loud we pray things like, God, give me patience to trust in you even though I don't know what you're doing. Sometimes we say that outwardly, but inward we're like, God, you're falling asleep. I know, again, that's not very spiritual to say in church. We can't really say that stuff sometimes. But, but we feel these ways. God, how long are you not going to listen to me? See, do you hear how kind of Habakkuk's battling with a couple different distorted views of God? He kind of wants that on-demand God, right? God, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you doing what I want you to do? If you know the story of Habakkuk, it's an amazing uh, prophet, prophet that he writes these different things. But what does God end up doing? He ends up saying, okay, fine, Habakkuk, I'll do something about it. And he tells him what he's going to do about it. And then what, what does Habakkuk say? No, 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 don't do it like that. Isn't that how we are? God, would you do something about this? I just wish you'd do something about this. Come on, God, let's get something done here. Okay, fine, I'll do it like this. Oh, no, 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 don't do it that way. You got to do it my way, the way I think is best. Again, Habakkuk is, I mean, I love this story because it, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable with God. Because it makes me realize we're not alone when we have these battles and these struggles. When we start to think, God, you are just heartless. We have all faced times in our life where we thought God didn't care. We've all faced these times in our life where we thought, God, you just don't care. Maybe something specific to our lives or a tragedy we see on the news. What is going on? God, why don't you care? And see, when we ask the question, why don't, God, why don't you care? We've already taken our distorted view of God and we've put it on God. And then we question God why he's that God. And he's never been that God, never will be that God. We said at the very first week, God is not a God who is heartless. He is a God who cares and he cares much. He cares so much for this world that he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. That's how much God cares. That's how much God loves. That's what God's willing to do to solve the sin problem that Habakkuk was battling with. That's why God is not a heartless God. He is a loving and gracious God. But let's be honest this morning. What do we do when God doesn't seem fair? How do we handle that when God doesn't seem fair? When we could stop it, when he could stop it, but he doesn't stop it. When God could stop it, but he doesn't stop it. See, when we ask God to do something, then he doesn't do it. We tend to, in our flesh, think, God, you either can't do it. You can't do what I'm asking. You don't care to do it. And those are the two conclusions we're left with in our flesh. But the reality is, what do we do when God doesn't seem fair? When he could stop it, but doesn't. So there was one example that jumped out to me this last week in my devotions. And uh, if you're doing the Word of Life devotions, this will be familiar to you as well. Uh, but one of the days they were talking about 
Matthew chapter 2 in the Word of Life devotion, and it just jumped out to me. In Matthew chapter 2, we read about how Herod, after Jesus is born, and the wise men come to Herod. Remember this? The wise men come to the palace. They're looking for Jesus. Why are they looking for Jesus? Because they want to offer gifts and sacrifices and praises. Why do they go to the palace? Because they know he's born a king. We'll go to the palace. There they find Herod, the lunatic. Okay? He was nuts. He was completely just uh, uh, scared of losing his power, losing his control. He had members of his family killed. He was just insane. And they go to him and say, hey, we're looking for the one born king. And Herod's like, I don't like the sound of that very much. So he calls in his scribes and his prophets and all these individuals and says, where's the Messiah going to be born? And they all say what? Bethlehem. It's known. This is where the, prophet's gonna, or this is where the Messiah is going to be born. This is what the prophet has said. So Herod says to the wise men, go seek and find the child. When you find him, come tell me. Why does he want him to come tell him? He says, so I can come and worship. Is that what Herod wanted to do? No. He wanted to kill the Messiah, kill the baby, so that he would not lose his authority. The wise men find Jesus sometime after he was born. They, they offer the gifts. They offer the presents. In a dream, God warns them, hey, don't go back to Herod. He's a little nuts. This is my paraphrase. That's not what the Bible actually says. But he's going to freak out on you guys. So sneak away. Just go back. Don't even bother about it. Well, Herod finds out the wise men jetted and left. He gets a little upset. So he says, hey, here's what I'll do. Every child two years old and under, go kill the male child. This is what Herod's plan is. So Jesus warns. Joseph, they get up and they go what? To Egypt. They flee. But one thing that has always got me, and I'm just being real with you guys, why doesn't God warn every other parent in the town? Why doesn't God stop Herod from doing it all together by just killing Herod? Why does God allow this? I, just, I know we have, and we're going to talk this out and walk this out, and I know that many of us have gotten to a point in our Christian walk and in our maturity where we can feel as though we have answers that are satisfactory on this. But if you're just looking at it and being real, many of us have struggled with this idea. Many of us have struggled with this idea of why doesn't God stop what God could do? When you look at this, I want you to realize God has given us an amazing gift. And it is an amazing gift. He's giving us, given us the ability to choose. God has given us the ability to choose. I used to wrestle with questions like this, but lately I've come to a point where I don't wrestle as much with it as I do in the same way. I used to wrestle, God, you're just, why don't you just stop it? And then I started looking at it a whole different perspective where God is saying, no, 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 no. You're looking at this wrong. Because if God really honestly stopped every sinful human from doing something sinful and hurtful, how many people would be on the planet? For those on the recording, I'm holding up a zero. Think about that for a second. If God stopped every sinful person from doing something sinful, he, we'd all be gone. I'd be gone. I, I've done sinful things and hurt people in ways, and if, if God wanted to avoid that hurt, he'd say, nope. And then we say, well, no, 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 but not the little things. Not the little hurts. We're talking about the big ones. Okay, so now that's not objective now. Now it's subjective. Now you're the judge of that. And see, so we have to understand this. When God gifted us with the ability to choose, we now have a choice to make when we see these things going on in the world around us. When we see a human being do something devastating to another human being, our first reaction must not be to question God's goodness. Rather, our first response should be to comprehend the depravity and sinfulness of man. Let me say that again. 
When we see a human being do something devastating to another human being, our first reaction must not be to question God's goodness. Rather, our first response should be to comprehend the depravity and sinfulness of man. When we realize that mankind in their fallen state in sin is going to commit heinous acts, it makes us aware of the deception and power of sin. When I see a human being do something tragic, the first question we ask is, where was God? The real question should be, man, how could God love him? You see the difference? It's not, God, where were you? It's, God, man, I don't, I don't get this when these things happen, these tragedies happen where people are hurting other people and committing violent acts. When these things are taking place, when, when people are robbing and stealing from children, I don't understand, God. And then we get into his word and we read things and we realize, oh, wait, this is what you were talking about when you said that we're fallen and depraved and sinful. The Bible makes it very clear. Every thought and imagination of a heart is evil in the heart of man. Everything is. And this is why we have to step back and say, okay, so how is this a good thing then? Because the moment I realize that's how I view this, now the fact that he says, time out, but I've so loved the world that I gave my only begotten son that any human being can receive Christ and be saved from, from our sins and forgiven of our sins? How could God love a people so broken? How could God love a people so, so given to sin and hurtful situations and to do these things to each other? Well, the truth is he does love us, and that should actually bring us to a point of praise. We should understand, oh God, I see these things happening. And yes, I don't like those things. I think we should still try to do things to prevent these things from happening as far as people hurting people. But really, spiritually speaking, it brings me to a point of praise because instead of questioning God's presence when something tragic takes place, let's praise because in the face of such depravity, he still offers his love and forgiveness to others. He offers his love and forgiveness to you. Now again, I want to make this kind of clear. I'm not at all saying it's okay for a human being to hurt another human being. I hope you get that. I'm not saying that God's in heaven like no big deal. No, he takes sin very seriously. And when another human being hurts another human being, it is wrong. It's not right. There's consequences for that. God makes it known there's consequences for that. So I'm not saying like, oh, no big deal. What I'm saying is instead of us seeing that and then blaming God, let's realize that's just more and more evidence of our need for him and his grace and his forgiveness. I hope you understand that. If you have any questions on that, I do encourage you to come talk to me. I would love to talk to you more about that, but, but I want to make sure we're clear on this. So what do we do then in the meantime? Because there's going to come a point where we're not going to understand these things. We still don't really understand these things. Well, one day God will make it clear. One day God will make it clear. I talk about things like tragedies and hurtful situations where a sinful person does something sinful to someone else, and we get that. More so than we get when we hear and see things that are just tragedies that happen to us that aren't involving sin necessarily. Um, we pray for someone who has cancer to be healed, and, and they're not healed, at least not this side of heaven. Uh, we pray for someone who is sick to be healed, and God chooses to not heal them. Those are the things that we wrestle with, I think even more so than the tragedies we see in the world around us. And I want to encourage you with one reality this morning. I do not have all the answers. I don't. I'll even take it a step farther. Nobody on this planet has all the answers. Nobody does. Can I tell you, I've done funerals where uh, it was an unexpected death. Uh, my wife's uncle committed suicide. 
just out of nowhere. Older gentleman, probably in his 50s, just took his life. And you know what's crazy is his, his wife and his daughter found him in the basement. And I come to the funeral home, and I'm sitting with them talking about some things, and, and one of the questions the wife asked me three or four or five times, why? 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 Can you, you now, as a pastor, put yourself in my shoes. How do you, what do you say? Do you go down the list of all the reasons why you think it happened? Now, there were some things, some circumstances, some things that I think contributed to this person not being in the right frame of mind and made this choice. But is that really what this person needs to hear? So I just sat with them, and I just, I prayed with them. And I was honest. I said, guys, I don't know why. I don't get it. I don't understand all the things of, of why these things happen in our life. But I do know this. One day we will. One day we will. We cannot see the full picture this side of heaven. However, I love what Paul tells us in the letter to the Corinthians. And I want to take just a moment to take the principle of this verse for us to see a great promise. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Paul writing to the church says this. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Paul says very clearly in the principle that I want to draw out from this is that we are not seeing everything for what it really is. We're not seeing the big picture yet. But one day I will be with him and I will be face to face with him and I will know him and he will know me and I will know fully these things that I need to know. I will be aware of the things I need to be aware of. In the context here, the principle, again, is I want to draw out to us is that while the revelation of God's word is complete and perfect, this is sufficient. This book is sufficient. I need nothing other than this revealed, powerful, life-changing word of God. It is perfect, and it is complete, and it is full. But my understanding of it and my understanding of God and my understanding of what God is doing is not complete. It is not perfect. My understanding is not perfect. And so one day we will be perfect. We will be complete. So I want to encourage you today, when God doesn't seem fair, rather than just reacting with God, you're not good. God, you don't care. God, you're not loving. Look at the situation and say, God, thank you for giving us choice. And you might say, why would he even give us choice that we could do this to each other? Because we can also then choose to receive his grace and forgiveness and submit to him and be used by him to make a difference in the world. I've heard it said, people will say, well, why didn't God do anything to stop that? Well, he is doing something in the world to stop these things from happening. He's saving individuals. He's giving them his Holy Spirit. He's equipping them with the word of God. And then he's gifting them to go out and do what he's called them to do, to make disciples. Uh, just to be real, you want to see crime rates go down? It's not going to start and end with legislation, although I'm all for uh, legislation and laws that prevent crime. True life change, true transformation comes only from within, and it only comes through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Uh, here's the truth, and, and again, in our days, this is even becoming more and more evident. You cannot legislate morality. You cannot create enough laws to make people good. Because at our heart, we're not good. So you can pass all the laws you want to, and again, I'm not opposed to legislation that will hopefully prevent people from committing acts of murder and these kind of things. My point is, 
true change, true transformation is when somebody is introduced to Jesus Christ, when somebody is shown the love and the power of the gospel and they are discipled in these things. And so my encouragement today is, man, just keep your eyes on Jesus. When you see the sin in the world around you, allow it to be a moment of praise where you thank God. God, thank you for loving a sinner even like me. And so I want to give you two quick things, two keys to keep us focused when God seems like he's distant or heartless. When you're going through something, when you yourself are experiencing pain, I want to give you a couple keys to kind of maybe help keep our minds in the right place. The first thing is God always has a purpose in your pain. God always has a purpose in your pain. And again, I do not say that lightheartedly or just flippantly. I understand depending on what you're going through, that's tough. That's tough. We've all gone through things where we want to believe that truth, but we drift from uh, thinking truth and we allow our emotions to lead us. God always has a purpose in our pain. Uh, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what specific pain you're going to deal with in the near future. I don't know what you're frustrated by. I don't know what's caused you hurt or pain. It could be any number of things. Um, It could be something like a relationship, somebody causing you pain in a relationship, uh, someone letting you down, uh, failed expectation, uh, someone gossiping about you, uh, someone saying things about you that that true or false, it still hurts, Uh, a loved one battling some kind of a health problem that you're just, you're carrying with them, Um, maybe even something as simple as a sore throat on a big day when you got to do a lot of talking. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. It sounds so silly and so trivial. And all the hurts of the world, there's been a Sunday morning or two where I've woke up feeling not good. I mean, just voice almost gone. Uh, I'll even give you a practical example. Wednesday night, I rolled into Wednesday night, and Sandra's encouragement to me was stay home, rest. And I said, hey, I went to Josiah's field trip today. I can go to church, okay? So we always told our teens, when my teens would tell me, I can't come tonight, I'd always ask them, did you go to school today? Well, yeah, if you went to school, you can come to church, okay? So I kind of say it tongue-in-cheek, kind of joking. But, but I got here, and my voice was, I felt like I was going to lose my voice, and I was so frustrated. God, why on Wednesday nights? Like, of all the t- any other time would be fine to give me a sore throat. So maybe it's something simple. Maybe it's something big. The point is, it's something that you're battling with, something that's causing you pain or causing you hurt. And I love what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn there with me quickly. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at just a couple of verses. But I love what Peter tells us about the purpose that God can bring forth from our pain or our trials. Again, remember, God always has a purpose in your pain. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice. Wherein you greatly rejoice. How can I greatly rejoice? Well, if you look at what he starts the chapter with, he's telling you all the things you can be thankful for. All the praises that you can be thankful for. That we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled. That we have been loved and chosen by God. That he has given us his grace. That he has extended to us sonship. That we would never lose any of this. That that we have salvation gifted to us. So he gives us all these reasons to be thankful, but then he gets to verse 6. He says, wherein you greatly rejoice. What are you rejoicing in? The truth that you have this salvation. But then look what he says. Though now for a season. You know, I love the word of God at this moment because it doesn't feel like a season when you're going through something, does it? 
Well, maybe it does. It feels like winter in Michigan. That's the season sometimes we find ourselves going through when we're going through hard times. It's just a season, but man, a season seems to drag on, doesn't it? It's like, come on, it's got to change sooner or later. It says, listen, you can rejoice in all these things, but for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. These are not temptations to sin. These are trials and testings. It says in verse 7 that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul or Peter's saying here to the church? He's saying, listen, you're going to go through some things. But I'm telling you, the, the trying of your faith, the refining of your faith is going to produce something. It's going to make a result that is so much purer and worth so much more than anything else you can imagine. It is worth it. The truth is God never wastes a hurt in our lives. We may not understand the why, but we can trust in God to carry us through. One author said it this way, and I love this. God doesn't always cause the pain, but God can always use it. God doesn't always cause the pain. Again, God's not up in heaven going, I'm going to, you know, and just see how crappy I can make this guy's day. That's not what God is doing. But God allows painful situations and trials into our life. And then when they're allowed into our life, now he can use them to grow us and strengthen us. God will allow things to happen to us in this life that does not make him the author of those things. However, no matter what things we go through, God is able to work in those hurts to bring about a blessing to us and glory to himself. John MacArthur said it this way. As a Christian, we should be thankful for trials because it is evidence of our faith. I thought that was powerful. As a Christian, we should be thankful for trials in our life because it is evidence of our faith. He goes on to say this, when we come through a trial and are able to endure the trial and realize that God has strengthened us through the trial, growing our faith, we praise him because we know that we are in oneness with him. We have a relationship with this God. It is evidence of our faith. When we come through the trial triumphant on the other side by his grace, it is a great encouragement to me and to you that I know that I am saved and I am his. You see, God has a purpose in our pain. Secondly and quickly, God is present in your pain. God is present in your pain. Go to Psalm 46, all the way back in the Old Testament there, Psalm 46. And we've referenced the book of Psalms quite a bit in this series. We've talked quite a bit about the truth of these psalmists, what their cries are been, uh, what they've called out for, their frustration, their joy, their praise, their discouragement. And we've allowed it to be hopefully an encouragement to us to see that we are in good company when we see people struggling with the same things that we struggle with. But we have to believe God has a purpose in our pain. God will use whatever we're going through if we will submit to him and say, God, I give you this. He will use it. You have experiences in your life where God has shown you this to be true. I have experiences in my life, but more than experiences, we have the truth of the word of God. Psalm 46, because not only is God going to bring about a purpose in your pain, God is present in your pain. God is present in your pain. Psalm 46 and verse 1. Praise God for simple verses, amen? 
I'm so thankful for simple verses. And God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know what I love about this verse more than anything else? I love the confidence of the psalmist to boldly declare that God is not God might be. You see that? It's not God might be there in your time of trouble. God might be present. No, 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 no. It's God is my refuge. God is there for me. He is present and he is there to help. The word refuge here means a shelter, a hope, and trust. He is a refuge. He is my shelter. He is my hope and he is my trust. When the storms of life are raging, we trust not in that the storm will end soon. We trust in the God who is over the storm. We believe, God, you are in this and you are with me. Another psalmist says it this way. uh, Psalm 62, verses 7 through 8. I'm just going to read it for time's sake. But listen to what this psalmist says. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is there for us. He is present in our time of pain. And again, we tend to think, well, big pains, little pains. No, he is present with you all the time. And why is this so hard for us? Because we got to look backwards and say, no, 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 no. But I don't feel like God is there. Right? I don't feel like I'm in the presence of God. I don't feel these things. Then we have to say, then my feelings are wrong. Because the word of God says he is an ever-present help. He is there for us. And when we don't feel it, by the way, I don't always feel it. I've said it so many times, the verse where Paul says, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. But I know it's more needful for you that I stay. Man, I I used to struggle with that. Like, whoa, what's Paul talking about? You know, but the older I get, the more and more I realize, Paul, I I got you. I got you, Paul. I know what you're saying. I mean, sometimes I just don't feel it. I don't feel like doing it again. I don't feel like going through another day. That's where we have to stop and say, it's not about how I feel. It's about what does God's word say? Amen. He says, God says, he is my refuge. So trust in him this morning. Believe that he is the refuge because maybe you are sitting there. I'm just going to be real. You're thinking, man, I want to believe. I want to trust. But I just don't know if I can. I just don't know if I can. I want to give you one more word of encouragement from his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn over there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I just, I just can't. You know, pastor, that sounds good. That sounds real good, and I, I really want to believe all of that, but I just can't. I don't think I can. Uh, how could I possibly muster up enough energy to do what you're asking me to do. Here's the greatest part of all of this. You don't have to do anything but trust. 
You just got to trust him. What are you trusting in? First Corinth, or Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know the story. The Apostle Paul is praying three times for God to remove this thorn in the flesh. And God, if you remove it, it'll be better. God, if you'd remove it, it'd be better. And God says, no. He says, no. But in place of that, I'll remind you of how sufficient my grace is. Paul, once he realized the sufficiency of God's grace, look what he says in verse 9 again. He says, therefore, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I'm going to glory in my weakness. I'm going to glory in my hurts. I'm going to glory in these things rather than trying to keep asking for you to take them away. God's encouragement to Paul is, I will give you grace to endure. That word sufficient there in that text means and I want to give you a few different things here because I love God's word. And the more we study it and understand the wording of the actual words and what they mean, I think it brings it to life. What does this word sufficient mean? It means to be possessed of unfailing strength. Man, to be possessing of unfailing strength. To be strong. To suffice. To be enough. To be satisfied. To be content. You know what God is reminding Paul? Paul, I know you don't get this. Paul, I know you only see limited. Paul, I know you're looking at it with a limited view. But let me just tell you, my grace is sufficient. You can possess a strength beyond your understanding. It is enough to be content. The truth is, when God doesn't seem fair, we need to focus on the truth that he will bring a purpose from the pain. He will bring a purpose from the pain, and he is always present in our pain. The Apostle Paul realized that while the circumstances did not change, his perspective on pain or on the pain in his life changed. He not only says, I'll glory in my infirmities. Look at verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's, that's, that's powerful. It's one thing to say, okay, God, I'm okay with it. Okay, God, I'll glorify you through it. But then he actually takes it a step farther and he says, no, 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 no. I'm not just going to glorify God in this. I'm going to take pleasure in this. Like that's where I'm like, Paul, man, I, I pray one day I'll get to where you are. And that's what I'm praying for God to do with me. It is hard to take pleasure in infirmities. It's hard to take pleasure in pains and hurts. And he wasn't like, I'm so excited to be hurting and to go through a trial and to go through a struggle. He's saying, no, the pleasure comes because it's for Christ's sake. Do you see that? He says, I'll take pleasure in all these things for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong, and I will promote the strength of Christ because it is him that is on display. I want to encourage you guys this morning. We're going to have a time of invitation in just a moment. And the invitation is simple. Here's the invitation. If you're doubting God this morning, and you're thinking, God, you're just unfair. God, you're just heartless. God, you're not who I thought you'd be. God, you're not there for me. Then I'm going to encourage you to open your heart and mind to him this morning and say, God, you know I'm struggling. God, you know my mind and my heart where I'm at. I want you to just, to just 
to just show me your grace is sufficient, to just remind me of this truth, not just intellectually, but spiritually, to make this real for me. Maybe you'd come and you'd bend a knee and you'd say, God, I just want to thank you that you're there for me in my time of trouble. Maybe somebody in this room has gone through something in the last couple of years that has been the worst thing you thought you'd ever have to go through. And you've seen how God has gotten you through and endured you through this. Maybe you'd come and bend a knee and say, God, just thank you for being there, for being present. Maybe somebody in this room is getting ready to go through something. There's something coming up and you're going to pray, God, would you prepare me for this to remind me that you are with me? My encouragement to you is whatever God is doing, would you glorify him this morning? Would you look to him for all things and allow him to be the God that he says he is, not the God that we make him to be? Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? (coughs) Father, we thank you. Not that you always do what we want, that it always goes like we want. God, we thank you that you are there for us. God, we thank you that you are an ever-present help and a refuge in the time of struggle. Lord, I can't put into words how needed you have been in my life at times and seasons. And Lord, I'm praying for the person right now. Lord, I'm, just, I'm asking that for the one in this room right now who feels like they're in a season that is never going to end. They're in a season where it feels like the trial just keeps going and keeps going. I pray that they would endure. I pray that you'd strengthen them. But Lord, more than that, I pray that they would know that they have your grace already. That you've already given them the strength. And it's not about what can we muster up or what can we do. It's about trusting in what you've already done. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room right now that has not received you as a Lord and Savior, that they would start there, that they would accept you as Savior, realizing their sin, confessing their sin, repenting of their sin, and trusting in you. But Father, for the believer this morning that's struggling in this idea of when you don't seem fair, I pray that we would know that you are good pray that we would love you and trust you more today than we did yesterday. I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, you'd open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. I pray we would respond to you and to you alone this morning. That we're not worried about what anyone else is thinking right now. We're only thinking about you and I and our relationship individually. And what are you, what are you leading me in? What do you bring into my remembrance now? What decisions do I need to make? What, what things do I need to confess so that our relationship can be what it needs to be? And God, again, would you be glorified in all the things that have been said and done this morning. Thank you, Lord, for those that are desiring to follow you in believer's baptism this morning. We are so excited for them. We are so thankful for their willingness to come. And I pray you would just put a hedge about them and just lead them through their life. Thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done in our lives and all that you're going to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet as we are led in a song of worship?